welcome back. It's me, Lala. This is episode 70. Last time we talked about Babylonian mystery religion, we went all the way back to the origin of Babylon in Genesis and talked about Nimrod, uh, the pagan messiah, and how pagan ideologies and beliefs have infiltrated its way into the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I do want to preface this episode by saying that I'm not, um, my intent isn't to point fingers at anyone who believes in any of these ideologies or even Catholics, because what I'm focusing on is the history um, and trying to relate it to scripture and how the world has been shaped. I personally, I did not grow in the Catholic uh, faith. And so I have no attachment to it, nor do I know what your individual Catholic church might believe in. All I know is that what is, has happened historically and what popes in history have done and uh, genocides that have taken place, torture devices that have been used, and also, um, qu- quite frankly, blasphemy against God and against Christ Jesus. So that is what I'm talking about. I think that it is important <clears throat> for us to implore if we have ties to denominations that we are in. I see sometimes content based on all of these different things, Catholicism, the Orthodox, and Protestant. I've had people come to me and tell me that I am a Protestant because I'm not the other. I refuse any label on myself besides being a believer in the word of God and following Christ, picking up my cross every day. Do I I have everything figured out? No, absolutely not. I'm happy to learn from people who are humble in their search for knowledge. As soon as someone, excuse me, as soon as someone comes up to me and starts telling me how much they know and how much I don't know, um, I sense that spirit of pride and I know that the Lord I serve um, favors the humble and loves the humble and loves to impart his wisdom on the humble. And so I am happy to be uh, shown a different way or if something that I'm saying that you feel is wrong or anything like that, I am more than open to discuss these things. However, um, this is just my viewpoint and what my uh, prayers to the Lord have led me to. I don't know if I told this story on the last podcast, uh, but I will today. So I was seeing when I came out of the new age, I was seeing all of these pastors being propped up that were tied in with Flynn. And I realized that they were 
propaganda pastors, that they are part of a church cabal. There's a lot of factions in the church that are uh, just full on new age ideologies uh, with a Christian veneer. And that's kind of what uh, first inspired me to do this series, but also what inspired this prayer, because as we look around at the world we live in and how things are being positioned, uh, not just in real life, but also with how they are positioning the information and how you receive it. And what I mean by that is by end times prophecies. So I've heard so many people talk about end time prophecies <laughs> since COVID happened and with the jab talking about it being the mark of the beast and things like that. I don't prescribe or subscribe rather to this idea. I don't subscribe to any idea that the propaganda pastors agree with most of the time. And so as I began to see the new age spirit within the church, and I began to see the, all of this deception in the church, um, I started to pray to God and I, I know I've shared my testimony before, but I was deceived for close to two decades in the new age. And I was the most arrogant in my search for truth when it came to spirituality. I thought I knew everything. I thought Christians were foolish. And so when my blinders came off, I was absolutely horrified and shocked that I had walked around for the majority of my life completely hoodwinked. And so in that, the Lord knows that my greatest desire is not to be deceived. I hate deceit. That's where my heart is. My heart is for the deceived, the left, the right, whoever, whether they're deceived by pro-choice, whether they're deceived by LGBTQ, whether they're deceived by the Roman Catholic Church, whether they're deceived by left or right politicians, what whatever it is. Um, my heart hurts for them. And I know that I'm not above being deceived myself. So I pray that I would not be deceived. And I pray for wisdom and discernment, revelations and truth to pour over me. And that is my greatest desire. Uh, those are the gifts that I ask our father for. And he answers me most of the time. Um, and his answers come in many ways. Sometimes he sends messengers to me. And sometimes I see things. I see connections. I'm able to piece them together and make them uh, easy for others to understand. And I give all the glory to him for that because this uh, extremely complicated web of deceit that Satan has weaved is not something that we can uh, dismantle ourselves. We need him. And the closer we stay to him, the less chance there is to be deceived. And so all of that to say that I don't know everything and I'm not ever pretending like I know everything. 
I am just sharing with you parts of my journey and parts of my research and parts of the wisdom that has been imparted onto me by the Lord. And so I just tell you to take everything I say and research it yourself and then test it against the word of God. And I hope you do that with everything. So anyways, my prayer to God was about the 70th week of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And I asked God, okay, God, you are showing me all of these pastors within this network and I keep seeing them stepping in unison with the end time prophecy. Now, the book of Revelation is veiled. And it's not one that an unbeliever would understand. And I don't believe that it is one that unless you're leaning on the Holy Spirit for the answers, would ever be able to understand or explain. So when I saw all of these people that by their fruit, I did not believe that they were true believers, but rather deceivers. And as I watched them in step share their end time prophecy that all was in unison, I started to get a little suspicious. And that's when I asked God that I want to know the truth about the 70th week of Daniel and the uh, book of Revelation. Now, on that same day, a woman came to my Bible study, and it was her first time ever coming to the study. We talked for hours afterwards, and we were just talking about life and things she was going through, things I was going through, um, you know, the, uh, all kinds of stuff happening in our world. But we did not discuss the book of Daniel or the book of revelation. And so at the end of the conversation, when she asked me to check out this man's YouTube channel, I, she didn't give me any information on what it was about. She just kind of said that she wanted a second opinion on it. I was, um, I, I get a lot of stuff sent to me. I don't check it all out to be honest with you, but for some reason that night I went to this man's YouTube channel the same day I prayed that prayer and it said the 70th week of Daniel deception and the book of revelation deception. I was a little floored. I did feel like an answered prayer, but I started to listen and discern his spirit and his spirit was very humble. Um, he explained how he had not gone to seminary school and how the seminary schools had been infiltrated and how um, Jesuits uh, doctrine had actually seeped its way into the seminary schools in America and probably all over the world. But uh, he explained how that happened, the connections there. Um, and that is what led me down into this. And it's I've been reading his books. And um, learning a lot about history. Because even though I knew a lot of the things that are in his book that I'm reading right now, it is in order from the saints perspective, but also has secular viewpoints next to scripture. So 
he he's a Christian looking from a Christian out view, but he uses Christian historians, but also secular historians to paint different events that occurred while placing it next to scripture. And he has shown how many things have been fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And it's been quite fascinating. I would highly recommend y'all to check him out. And if this is something that you like to read about, learn about, if the book of Revelation is confusing and you have no idea, well, I would just give you that suggestion to do what I did, pray and ask for the truth. And um, then you can check this out and let me know what you think. But his name is David Nicow Wilcoxon on YouTube and his books. He has a book on Mount Olivet. He has a book on 70th week of Daniel. And then he has a book on Revelation, which I'm reading Revelation right now. And it's been fascinating, like I said. So today I want to talk about um, a little bit more into the Roman Catholic Church a little bit and how uh, Judaism and Islam kind of intermingle in scripture, in my opinion, and just kind of go through some of these things and connect it back to today. Because remember, we started in Babylon and now I kind of want to talk about some of the Abrahamic religions that are uh, I mean, I don't even know how to put it besides reading Matthew 24, uh, 15 through eight, or well, I don't mean how to read this whole thing, but in Matthew 24, starting in scripture 15, it says, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now an abomination in the Greek is to reek with stench, what emits a foul order odor and hence is disgustingly abhorrent, detestable, moral horror as a stench to God. Desolation means lay waste, make destitute, barren, that results from being cut off. Okay, so when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Well, what is the holy place after Christ? You and me. Anyone who has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. So the third temple, this futurist theory, is something that was created when 
the Roman Catholic Church needed to shift blame away from them fulfilling prophecy. The abomination stands in the holy place. So would it not make sense to say that these Abrahamic religions are seated in his temple of believers coming in his name? Because even though Judaism don't believe Christ is the Messiah, even though Islam only views Jesus as a prophet, do they not believe that they serve the God of Abraham? And we know that the Catholic Church claims to know Christ. But how many things have they done that are antichrist in history? They made Hebrew holidays illegal. They changed the uh, Sabbath to Sunday and they worship the sun, as we talked about last time. They have inserted their pagan rituals and Roman rites into uh, Christianity. They have committed genocide of Christians. But not only has the Catholic Church done that, but the Jews have done that. Islam has done that. And now, when I started to search for any links between these Abrahamic religions outside of uh, Christianity, and when I say Christianity, I mean real set-apart saints that have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, because I don't want to misconstrue historical Christianity and actual um, followers of Christ. And if you think about it, and if you've ever had a debate with people, they use the calamity and brutal brutality of history that has occurred at the name of religion against God and why they don't want to serve a God who, you know, comes in and murders people for his name. Now, we obviously know they weren't working with God or for God when they were committing genocide against his children. But some people don't really look that much deeper into it. And when you read the history books, it talks about Catholics killing Christians and you know, um, or whatever, whoever's killing who it's just, it's sad, but I found a link between Kabbalist Jews that took over the Roman Catholic church through the Jesuit order. And I did not know that. So there, the narrative goes, the first Jesuits were crypto Jews, Ig. Ignatius Loyola himself was a crypto Jew of the occult Kabbalah. A crypto Jew is a Jew who converts to another religion and outwardly embraces the new religion while secretly maintaining Jewish practices. And so in that time, 
um, like I was just stating, though, there was a lot of murder. And if you wouldn't convert or follow the Roman rights and Roman laws, then you could be uh, you could be killed. And so he was wounded in a battle in 1521. He was unable to succeed in the military and political arena. He started a quest for holiness and eventually ended up in Paris, where he studied for the priesthood. In 1539, he had moved to Rome, where he founded the Jesuit order. Okay, so... He was born in Spain. His parents were very wealthy. He became a member of the Jewish Illuminati order in Spain. And so he, as a cover for his Jewish activities, he became very active as a Roman Catholic. And so when he founded the Jesuit order, um, that, that was the situation. Now, the Jesuit oath is one of the most horrific things that you can read. And the Jesuits or the Society of Jesus, that's what it's called, um, they have allegiance to the Catholic Church. It's a religious order for men in the Catholic Church. Okay, it was founded by this man who we're discussing. And it does have an oath. And you have to remember that this was a time of war and a time of um, they were called to kill anyone who went against the Roman Empire. And a lot of them didn't believe the catholic church because they believed in the gospel and the gospel the gospel was the opposite of what the catholic church said so the oath and i hate to even read it out loud um and i don't want to because um not that i'm scared i just think that there's power in words but you should go and read it but it talks that they will declare and promise to wage war relentlessly um, against all heretics. That's who it is against, heretics. And heretics were set apart saints or people who went against the Catholic Church. Protestants, even though the Protestants didn't have it fully right because they still have a lot of the Roman um, traditions in there it's like they didn't finish the job but it goes on to say they want to exterminate protestants from the face of the whole earth they will not spare anything whether age sex or condition and going back to the brutality of it and if you look up the catholic torture devices that they use it's quite eye-opening but the oath goat says that they will hang waste boil fillet strangle and bury alive the heretics rip the stomachs and wombs of the women and crush infants heads against the wall i'm i'm reading this so then they said that when it cannot be done openly they will do it by way of poisoning uh and then they went on to 
talk about other ways to carry that out. And um, it goes on to say that either public or private, I at any time may be directed to do so by any agent of the Pope or superior of the Brotherhood of the Holy Faith or the Society of Jesus. So, yeah, it's pretty bad. Now, this is where it gets confusing a little bit because it's like, okay, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church, but it was created by a Jesuit. I don't know what really the, um, you know, if it's all converso uh, Jews through history or if it's just a mixture of actually Roman Catholics or what. I, I really don't know. And I'm not, I haven't gone that much deeper into it, but I was a little shocked when I found this. Um, just as I was trying to search between a connection between Roman Catholic church and Judaism, um, relations and, uh, I guess consorted efforts, uh, is kind of what I was looking for, but then I found this. Um, and so there's a book, so there has been some talk, I guess, kind of trying to deny this fact, but, uh, on this article says was, Ignatius really a crypto Jew Murano converso. I guess those are the different words for it. And I truly apologize if any of these are distasteful uh, words. I don't really know. I'm just reading this article here. So um, the article says, given the inherent bias of all historical narratives, to which narrative should we look to find the answer to this question. Well, I decided that the surest way to confirm Ignatius' converso background was to look for admissions of it from the Jesuits themselves. And look what I found. There's a book titled Friends on the Way, Jesuits Encounter Contemporary Judaism, written by Thomas Michael, who is in the Society of Jesus. And it says that um, it reveals, this is from the book, it reveals that Several studies have found that society's founder and its first superior general, Ignatius Loyola, Loyola, came from a converso family and that he had wished he had been Jewish to have the honor of being from the same race as Jesus and the Virgin Mary. Um, it goes on to say, if I can find it. Uh, there's three accounts of Loyola's Yes, here it is in chapter two, early Jesuit pro-converso policy. Okay, so it says that the history of Jesuits of Jewish ancestry in the 16th century mirrors the earlier converso history in 15th century Spain that we have traced in chapter one from the initial acceptance of new Christians and the rise of their influence and power to the consequent deep resentment of old Christians who had made increasing efforts to curb and possibly eliminate the converso presence first in the civil and then ecclesiastical institutions. So they additionally, the Jesuits opened many new remote frontiers for missionary activities that often became to conversos and of their superiors a veiled opportunity to avoid intolerance at home. So it just talks a little bit about the infiltration um, it speaks of the Jewish infiltration of civil 
uh, and ecclesiastical institutions that gave rise to a protective backlash against the conversos. It confirms that conversos did see the clerical ranks of the church as a haven from persecution, right? And then it points out that crypto Jews penetrated other orders of the church. So again, like I was saying, who knows what that looks like today? Cause this was so long ago, but I thought that was an important thing to know. The other thing that I found is that Islam was <laughs> honestly, it's really sad because I love Jesus so much and there's nothing in me that uh, can shake my faith because I know him and what he's done for me and how he has set me free and broken my chains. And, but I'm a, I'm a baby Christian and I had a lot of doubts at the beginning. And I think that's why I had to walk through that demonic oppression because it made it real when he set me free. And, um, and so I questioned though, other religions, you know, I wondered what's the truth. There's a million denominations. There is Islam, you know, they're very passionate about their truth. So what's the truth? Uh, I wondered, I watched um, some people videos or testimonies on how they converted from Christianity to Islam. And it never made sense to me, but I was still just like unsure because after I've heard of some of the things about the religion, um, there were just certain unanswered questions for me. And so when I started to study all of this, uh, it came back into my vision and I think some of those unanswered questions were answered. So let's just talk. Let's, I have a clip that I want to play, but basically Satan didn't want anyone to be saved. Right. And we have him working through people they're doing the babylonian mystery religion still but they're calling it catholicism they're, call they're calling it kabbalah judaism they're calling it gnosticism and now we have islam so the quran gives muslims a religious cause which opposes christians and what I've read and researched says here that Islam is Romanism for Arabs. In Revelation 17, calls the Roman church the mother of harlots, and Islam is one of the daughter religions that they helped create. The Roman Catholic Church didn't have an army, so they sought to harness the power of the great population of Ishmaelites in the desert to take control of the Holy Land.
So I want to read a little excerpt from this book. Um, it's called The Revelation Timeline Decoded. It's the same author, David Nicow Wilcoxon. Um, I am going to see if I can get an interview one day after I finish his books. I'm going to try to reach out. Um, but anyways, this is from his book. It's in chapter 43 called The Iron Clay Feet of Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, 41 to 43, it reads, And whereas thou saw the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou saw the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of man, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So he believes, and he goes on to explain that the iron legs of the statue in Daniel 2 point to the Western and Eastern divisions. Okay. Um, part of this, you had have to read uh, the book a little bit to more understand. So let me just skip ahead. He says that the iron in the feet still points to the Roman beast kingdom, but they join with another people group referred to as Miri clay. The key words to focus on are mixed and mingle. The Bible gives us the definition, so we need not speculate about the meanings. The Strong's Aramaic word for both mixed and mingle is 6151 Arab. That word is not found anywhere else, as this passage was originally written in Aramaic, which is closely related to Hebrew. When we do a word study, we see that the Aramaic 6151 Arab corresponds to Hebrew words that describe the mixing of the Arab race. Aramaic word 6151 corresponds to Hebrew word 6148 Arab, which means to braid, intermix, or to mingle. So is that not what the iron and clay are doing? Intermixing and mingling together. And you'll see this as we talk about Islam here shortly, um, but it goes on to say Hebrew word 6150 Arab is a primitive root identical with 6148, which signifies dusk to be darkened. Hebrew word 6152 Arab is derived from 6150 and it signifies an Arab. 6154 Arab is derived from 6148, signifies a web of cloth, also a mixture, and especially the people of Arabia, a mingled people or mixed multitude. Here, Hebrew word 6163 Arabi is derived from 6152 and also signifies an Arabian or inhabitant of Arabia. So we can see there's a clear link of the words mixed and mingled with the Arab people. Now let's look at the words of Miri clay. When I think of the potter's clay, I think of Jeremiah 18.6 when the father's talking to the tribes of the house of Israel. O house of Israel. Can I not, can I, I'm sorry. Oh, house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. When I think of Miri clay, I think of the Ishmaelites who were born of Abraham's seed when he mixed with a foreigner, an Egyptian bondwoman named Hagar. Two great nations were made through Abraham, 
that of the 12 tribes of Israel through Jacob Israel, who had 12 sons. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Genesis 12, two. And that of Ishmael, who also had 12 sons. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Genesis 17, 20. The twelve tribes of Israel are the clay, and the descendants of Ishmael's sons are the miri clay. So these false religions of Romanism and Islam, they, they hide the true gospel from over three billion people. And what we don't, what I did not know until recently is that Muhammad's wife was a Roman Catholic. And so let's just listen to this clip and get some insight and then we can continue. The astonishing story from the ex-Jesuit priest, Alberto Rivera, how the Vatican created Islam, which was told to him by Cardinal B while he was at the Vatican. After his conversion to Protestant Christianity, Alberto Rivera exposed what he was told by Cardinal B. And this story is excerpted from The Prophet, published by Chick Publications in California. Since its publication, after several unsuccessful attempts on his life, he died suddenly from food poisoning. But his story should not be silenced, as it is important to understand. Alberto Rivera went on to say. What I'm going to tell you is what I learned in secret briefings in the Vatican when I was a Jesuit priest, under oath and induction. A Jesuit cardinal named Augustine B. showed us how desperately the Roman Catholics wanted Jerusalem at the end of the third century. Because of its religious history and its strategic location, the holy city was considered a priceless treasure. A scheme had to be developed to make Jerusalem a Roman Catholic city. The great untapped source of manpower that could do this job was the children of Ishmael. The poor Arabs fell victim to one of the most clever plans ever devised by the powers of darkness. Early Christians went everywhere with the gospel setting up small churches, but they met heavy opposition. Both the Jews and the Roman government persecuted the believers in Christ to stop their spread. But the Jews rebelled against Rome, and in 70 AD, Roman armies under General Titus smashed Jerusalem and destroyed the great Jewish temple which was the heart of Jewish worship. On this holy place today where the temple once stood, the Dome of the Rock Mosque stands as Islam's second most holy place. Sweeping changes were in the wind. Corruption, apathy, greed, cruelty, perversion and rebellion were eating at the Roman Empire, and it was ready to collapse. The persecution against Christians was useless as they continued to lay down their lives for the gospel of Christ. The only way Satan could stop this thrust was to create a counterfeit Christian religion to destroy the work of God. The solution was in Rome. Their religion had come from ancient Babylon, and all it needed was a facelift. This didn't happen overnight, but began in the writings of the early church fathers. It was through their writings that a new religion would take shape. The statue of Jupiter in Rome was eventually called Saint Peter, and the statue of Venus was changed to the Virgin Mary. 
The site chosen for its headquarters was on one of the seven hills called Vaticanus, the place of the divining serpent where the satanic temple of Janus stood. The great counterfeit religion was Roman Catholicism, called Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, which we see in Revelation chapter 17 verse 5. She was raised up to block the gospel, slaughter the believers in Christ, establish religions, create wars and make the nations drunk with the wine of her fornication as we will see. Three major religions have one thing in common, each has a holy place where they look for guidance. Roman Catholicism looks to the Vatican as a holy city. The Jews look to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and the Muslims look to Mecca as their holy city. Each group believes that they receive certain types of blessings for the rest of their lives for visiting their holy place. In the beginning, Arab visitors would bring gifts to the house of God, and the keepers of the Kaaba were gracious to all who came. Some brought their idols and, not wanting to offend these people, their idols were placed inside the sanctuary. It is said that the Jews looked upon the Kaaba as an outlying tabernacle of the Lord with veneration until it became polluted with idols. In a tribal contention over a well, called Zamzam. The treasure of the Kaaba, and the offerings that pilgrims had given, were dumped down the well and it was filled with sand, it disappeared. Many years later Odab al-Mutlib was given visions telling him where to find the well and its treasure. He became the hero of Mecca, and he was destined to become the grandfather of Muhammad. Before this time, Augustine became the Bishop of North Africa, and was effective in winning Arabs to Roman Catholicism, including whole tribes. It was among these Arab converts to Catholicism that the concept of looking for an Arab prophet developed. Muhammad's father died from illness and sons born to great Arab families in places like Mecca were sent into the desert to be suckled and weaned and spend some of their childhood with Bedouin tribes for training and to avoid the plagues in the cities. After his mother and grandfather also died, Muhammad was with his uncle when a Roman Catholic monk learned of his identity and said, take your brother's son back to his country and guard him against the Jews, for by God, if they see him and know of him that which I know, they will construe evil against him. Great things are in store for this brother's son of yours. The Roman Catholic monk, had fanned the flames for future Jewish persecutions at the hands of the followers of Muhammad. The Vatican desperately wanted Jerusalem because of its religious significance, but was blocked by the Jews. Another problem was the true Christians in North Africa who preached the gospel. Roman Catholicism was growing in power, but would not tolerate opposition. Somehow the Vatican had to create a weapon to eliminate both the Jews and the true Christian believers who refused to accept Roman Catholicism. Looking to North Africa, they saw the multitudes of Arabs as a source of manpower to do their dirty work. Some Arabs had become Roman Catholic, and could be used in reporting information to leaders in Rome. Others were used in an underground spy network to carry out Rome's master plan to control the great multitudes of Arabs who rejected Catholicism. When Saint Augustine appeared on the scene, he knew what was going on. His monasteries served as bases to seek out and destroy Bible manuscripts owned by the true Christians. The Vatican wanted to create a messiah for the Arabs, someone they could raise up as a great leader, 
a man with charisma whom they could train, and eventually unite all the non-Catholic Arabs behind him, creating a mighty army that would ultimately capture Jerusalem for the Pope. In the Vatican briefing, Cardinal B. told us this story. A wealthy Arabian lady who was a faithful follower of the Pope played a tremendous part in this drama. She was a widow named Khadija. She gave her wealth to the church and retired to a convent, but was given an assignment. She was to find a brilliant young man who could be used by the Vatican to create a new religion, and become the Messiah for the children of Ishmael. Khadija had a cousin named Warqwa, who was also a very faithful Roman Catholic and the Vatican placed him in a critical role as Muhammad's advisor. He had tremendous influence on Muhammad. Teachers were sent to young Muhammad and he had intensive training. Muhammad studied the works of Saint Augustine which prepared him for his great calling. The Vatican had Catholic Arabs across North Africa spread the story of a great one, who was about to rise up among the people and be the chosen one of their God. While Muhammad was being prepared, he was told that his enemies were the Jews and that the only true Christians were Roman Catholic. He was taught that others calling themselves Christians were actually wicked impostors and should be destroyed. Many Muslims believe this. Muhammad began receiving divine revelations and his wife's Catholic cousin Waqwa helped interpret them. From this came the Quran. In the fifth year of Muhammad's mission, persecution came against his followers because they refused to worship the idols in the Kaaba. Muhammad instructed some of them to flee to Abyssinia where Negus the Roman Catholic king accepted them, because Muhammad's views on the Virgin Mary were so close to Roman Catholic doctrine. These Muslims received protection from Catholic kings because of Muhammad's revelations. Muhammad later conquered Mecca, and the Kaaba was cleared of idols. History proves that before Islam came into existence, the Sabaeans in Arabia worshipped the moon god, who was married to the sun god. They gave birth to three goddesses who were worshipped throughout the Arab world as daughters of Allah, an idol excavated at Hazor in Palestine in 1950s shows Allah sitting on a throne with the crescent moon on his chest. Muhammad claimed he had a vision from Allah and was told, you are the messenger of Allah. This began his career as a prophet, and he received many messages. By the time Muhammad died, the religion of Islam was exploding. The nomadic Arab tribes were joining forces in the name of Allah and his prophet, Muhammad. Some of Muhammad's writings were placed in the Quran, others were never published. They are now in the hands of high-ranking holy men, ayatollahs, in the Islamic faith. When Cardinal B. shared with us in the Vatican, he said, these writings are guarded because they contain information that links the Vatican to the creation of Islam. Both sides have so much information on each other, that if exposed, it could create such a scandal that it would be a disaster for both religions. In their holy book, the Quran, Christ, is regarded as only a prophet. If the Pope was his representative on earth, then he also must be a prophet of God. This caused the followers of Muhammad to fear and respect the Pope as another holy man. The Pope moved quickly, and issued bulls, 
granting the Arab generals permission to invade and conquer the nations of North Africa. The Vatican helped to finance the building of these massive Islamic armies in exchange for three favors. 1. Eliminate the Jews and Christians, true believers, which they called infidels. 2. Protect the Augustinian monks and Roman Catholics. And 3. Conquer Jerusalem for His Holiness in the Vatican. So, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And if anything, just solidified my faith even further. Uh, because all throughout history, they've hated Christ and everything that he stood for and killed people for believing in the gospel. And as they've done that, the gospel actually spread. If you look at the gospel map, now we see the Pope actually merging with Islam uh, unapologetically, creating Chrislam. Um, so I don't know if you guys saw that, but um, where is it? If you just look up the Pope and um, Chrislam, there was a, a document ratified they've set up a council um it's been codified and ratified with the approval at the seventh congress of leaders of world and traditional religions so i guess it is a uh you know coming together that way now it goes back to what i was saying about the abrahamic religions so are they just coming together under that guise of, well, we all believe in the same God, God of Abraham. Um, and again, the Judaism is the third piece of that, right? So Hermetic Kabbalah is a uh, Western esoteric tradition involving mysticism and the occult. It's the underlying philosophy, philosophy and framework for magical societies. And such as the Golden Golden Dawn, Thelemic Orders, Mystical Religious Societies, Fellowship of the Rosy Cross, and a precursor to Neo-Pagan, Wiccan, New Age movements. Okay, so all of these New Age ideologies that people are falling for, and sometimes they'll say, well, it's not new. Yeah, it's very, very old. It is the Babylonian mystery religion that you are um, well, I mean, some people know, some people don't care. Um, but a lot of people are, are unknowingly subscribing to these ideas. So the whole, the, we just kind of went down the Islam rabbit hole, very shallow, but you can all obviously take these topics and go and do your own due diligence. And I hope that's what you're doing with anything I tell you. Uh, but now let's look a little bit deeper into the Jewish uh, Abrahamic religion. So there is in Genesis 12, 3, where it talks about how Abraham will be, his nation will be blessed. Uh, it says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Okay. And in Romans eleven twenty five. It says that I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. 
some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Now, remember in Genesis 12, 3, he says that all of the world will be blessed through you. And in Romans eleven twenty five, he says, this is, he goes, Romans 11 just goes into the mystery of Gentiles and Jews and how the hardness of Israel's hearts is basically what blesses the Gentiles as God is give God is being patient for everyone to come to him. But when that time is over and the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ, then Israel's heart will be um, softened. And now that is the mystery of Israel. However, Genesis 12, three is what they use to propagandize the idea of Zionist Israel being what we should be looking at when it's biblical Israel. And who is Israel? Jacob. And he has the 12 tribes, right? So that is biblical Israel. And then we are Israel as we come to know Christ. Because who knows who was part of the original 12 tribes? Because he said they were scattered. So there's been DNA studies that confirm that 97% of people who call themselves Jews are not descendants of Abraham. Uh, in, doc in 2001, Dr. Ariella Oppenheim, who actually um, is a Jew, She's a biologist of Hebrew University, published the first extensive study of DNA and the origin of the Jews. Her research found that virtually all the Jews come from Khazarian blood. The newest DNA research science from Dr. Iran Elike, who is also a Jew, and his associates at uh, the McCusick Nathan's Institute of Genetic Medicine at John Hopkins University School of Medicine, say the same thing. So... The Torah Jews, they study God's Torah only. Not the Kabbalah, which has roots in Egypt or Babylon, right? Or the Babylonian Talmud. That's who the Ashkenazi Jewish leaders study and revere. Now, the Talmud has a lot of detestable things in it. Uh, it talks about pedophilia. It talks about Jesus burning in feces. It talks about... Uh, going by going to any means to deceive Christians and to kill Christians. So, um, that is kind of what we're dealing with, and when it comes to this Israel propaganda, and if we look at the Jewish flag, it has the Star of David on it. Now, the Star of David is the same star that has appeared on the symbol of Theosophy, which we'll get to, which is the origin of New Age. It is the Metatron's cube, which in the New Age they believe is the vessel in which they travel in the spiritual realm. But there's also people who believe that the star, and you can look at ancient artifacts and things of that nature, that it is the god of Remphan. And in Amos 526, um, or I'm sorry, Acts 743, it's called the Star of Remphan. 
All these names refer to their god Saturn. The hexagon was brought to the Jewish people by Solomon when he turned to witchcraft and idolatry after his marriage to Pharaoh's daughter in 922 BC. It became known as the Seal of Solomon in Egyptian magic and witchcraft. David had absolutely nothing to do with the hexagram, and that star most certainly did not in any way represent God's people. Solomon gave himself up to satanic worship and built altars to Ashtoreth and Moloch. And in Amos 526, it was called by him, God, the star of your God, Moloch, or otherwise called Chiun. Okay, and so you can study into the Star of David if you have not already. Um but yes, it's also in the theosophy and goes back into the new age. And again, it's all into a bunch of uh, ancient cultures and things of that nature that comes back to Babylon again. There's nothing new under the sun. And um, so again, when I'm researching all of this, it's so intermingled in together. And it's just like, it's just like the same spirit with a different outfit on every time I look into it, you know, like there is so much similarities that, you know, once you start to notice those patterns, you can pretty much see it. And because I danced with the enemy longer than I've known Christ Jesus, I know him. Okay. And I know what, how to sense him. And it's weird. And I honestly hope I never lose it because that's what has my hand up towards him so strongly and my desire to stay close to Christ so deep. But again, let's read Matthew 24, 15 again. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. The holy place, the temple of God, you, me, the believers, the three Abrahamic religions, the abomination of desolation. I personally think that makes sense because we have the Jesuit Jews, the Roman Catholics, and Islam, created by the Roman Catholic Church, all hating the set-apart saints, all committing genocide on the set-apart saints, and the Jewish mysticism um, goes a little bit further into the future, right? I mean, here we are today and all of that is so prevalent, but the Jewish mysticism has interlaced itself with quantum physics. And so the lie of reincarnation, the lie of infinite consciousness is actually propped up by Einstein, I'm sorry, Einstein's formula. And his, his most popular formula is E equals MC squared. Now, E equals energy. M equals mass. C equals the speed of light. So mass times the speed of light squared, you and me, 100 and whatever pounds, if we were traveling at the speed of light, we would be energy, according to Einstein. And at the same time, he says, well, energy cannot be created or destroyed. And so what does that tell you? That we will always exist. And so when I was deceived, I thought, well, of course, reincarnation is real. Well, of course, we're going to be conscious forever. And um, I, I, ha I was a big fan of quantum physics. And then I found this. 
Into the 19th and 20th century, atomism eventually became formal modern atomic theory, bringing us all the way into the present day full of string theory and dark matter and large hadron colliders. The atom has long been split with fearsome destructive power or, or energy producing possibility. The existence of this minutely vast quantum reality has been undeniably proven. Or has it? Do the pervasively occult origins of these theories have any remaining significance for us today? Is there some still yet undisclosed spiritual agenda behind all these supposedly innocuous and coincidental connections? Modern occultist Manly P. Hall certainly believed there was a great deal of esoteric significance to atomism and he gave many lectures on the topic. Today we increasingly hear theoretical physicists and other materialistic scientists talking about an uncanny amount of similarity between the things modern quantum physics is claiming to discover and the sorts of things found in Kabbalism and other ancient forms of Hermeticism. Through the history of atomism, we can see this familiar trend of an original mystical philosophy gradually and painstakingly hammered into what is supposedly a purely materialistic and scientific knowledge base which then, ironically enough, winds up coming full circle to where it begins pointing humanity back to that original underlying hermetic belief system. Has humanity effectively been duped into building the machines that will serve as the key to freeing a horde of entities from a dimensional prison? Did fallen angels perhaps begin perpetrating these false cosmological and physical doctrines long ago so that eventually we would believe we were acquiring the knowledge to achieve our own immortality when in reality we were only playing God? And even today there is still this process of discovery going on um, what we what we can clearly see in terms of the teachings in the Kabbalah in the Zohar is that there is no such thing as death this is very important teaching for example you're driving along in your car and you see a little animal he's been run over it's roadkill it's a shame but in the true lessons of the Kabbalah, that animal is made of atoms which are described in the Kabbalistic texts. And atoms are miniature points of light. This is how they're, they're described. They are particles which you cannot see with your eye, but they are the building blocks of everything in the universe. And that little dead creature he is made of atoms and those atoms are full of energy and so the kabbalistic texts and the tradition really breaks things down into particle theory and what is really fascinating is that the 
uh, oral tradition of the Kabbalah, teaching, uh, you know, from father to son, mother to daughter, this, I suppose, a version of nuclear physics was very strong in Central Eastern Europe, okay? Where do all of the nuclear physicists come from? Hmm. Niels Bohr, Zillard, Albert Einstein, uh, the Oppenheimer brothers, Edward Teller, who invented the hydrogen bomb. If you look at their family histories, they all come from Central Eastern Europe, um, which is the geographical area where the oral tradition of the Kabbalah was its strongest in Europe. Hmm. Um, and I've, I've just written an, a new book that's uh, coming out tomorrow called The Real Dr. Strangeloves. And, you know, it shows that the Kabbalah is now being written into quantum theory. You know, quantum theory with quarks and neutrinos and all these exotic particles traveling at, you know, two thirds of the speed of light that are being discovered in these particle accelerators. If you know about the Kabbalah, which though people like Albert Einstein and Edward Teller definitely knew about the Kabbalah, you can see that it's almost like they're making quantum physics fit the Kabbalah. That blew my mind when I watched that documentary. It's titled Etheral, A-E-Thural, uh, on YouTube. I watched it many times. It's fantastic. And uh, it really, wow, you know, I, I was so deceived. I bought it all up and it completely worked on me, the enemy's lies. Now, we know it all started with the lie in the garden, moved on to ancient mystery religion, then into the Kabbalism, Gnosticism, then came the Knights Templar and the Rosicrucians, Freemasonry, Illuminati, the Theosophical Society and the occult that we know today, and the New Age movement, which is just the big red devil dressed up as the angel of light, deceiving people into worshiping Lucifer unknowingly because when I was given the gift of spiritual vision, I was trying to disprove the resurrection, and obviously that didn't happen, but... <laughs> When I became a believer, I was like, all right, God, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? Like, what about all these things that I feel like I know are true? How does it fit? And now looking back and even saying that, I was still convinced they were true somehow. And who knows, you know, maybe they're partly true, uh, fallen angel knowledge. Maybe they're complete lies. Maybe there's partly true. I don't really know. And I don't really care anymore. Um, because there's some things that we don't have to know in this part of our existence. And I think that God gives us everything that we need to know, but some people want more. And um, there was a scripture that I read yesterday that I really loved. 
uh, and would like to share. In 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 13, it says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And so while we can con- go into the all of this stuff and try to figure out what's going on, what's, what's going on spiritually, what's going on politically, what's going on. Cool. Yeah, that can occupy our time. But make sure that you are loving people and that you're asking God, how can he use you? Because that's what he made you for. He made you to love you and he made you to use you for his purposes and his great plan that he knows more than we do. And his plans for us are much better than our plans for us. So when I was deceived into the new age and I was given the spiritual vision, then I started to research my beliefs and I did that because, well, I felt the Lord leading me to do it because I had to share my testimony because I was spreading all kinds of lies before that. And so I had to share my testimony very loudly. And in doing so, uh, God used my testimony to pull a lot of people out of the new age deception. And I was very grateful for him to use me in that way. And I just, I, uh, He's just so good. He's just so good. And watching myself grow into his word and in the faith, but also having sisters uh, come alongside me in that same experience has been such a gift. And so I thank him for that. And um, it's just, it's been such a blessing. Anyways, so Helena Blavatsky, she's the mother of the new age. She's the mother of modern spirituality, the creator of Lucifer magazine, the author of The Secret Doctrine, which was channeled messages that had things like Lucifer or Lumerians. I'm sorry. Um, This is kind of where all of these ideas that we're seeing in like the truther movement, um, the Galactic Federation and things of like insanity like that. Um, the ascended master ideology, they are really hyper-focused on ancient Egypt, Hinduism, mysticism, scientism, astrology, the sacred math and sacred geometry, enlightenment, chakras, age of Aquarius, the seven root races come from them. That's where the Lumerians come from. There's more than one way to God, all about the self-love, right? Focusing on your self-love, increasing your, uh, vibrations and things like that. Um, That's all satanic doctrine. Shifting into higher consciousness, evolving your consciousness, spiritual evolution. Everyone's good. We don't need a savior. You are your own God. You create your own reality. Well, damn, if we create our own reality, we sure suck at it because this world is messed up. And yeah, we're given free will. 
And that's why this world is so messed up. But we absolutely need a savior. I don't know about you. I need a savior. And I'm so thankful for him. But this is where it all stemmed from, Helena Blavatsky. Now, there is also um, Alice Bailey. She was another usual suspect. Okay. Um, She had letters on occult meditation. And the book was called The Consciousness of the Atom. And we just learned about atomism and quantum physics and how it's kind of like a pseudoscience in order to hold up these lies, right? She had a 10-point plan to destroy Christianity. And um, she is, oh man, I'm trying to pull those 10 point up. But in the meantime, I also wanted to mention that she was also, uh, I, I believe the creator of the Lucius trust and the Lucius trust is in support of the U S nations. And it also used to be called Lucifer, which, um, Yes, in 1923, with the help of Foster Bailey, Alice Bailey founded the Arcane School, which is part of the Lucius Trust, um, and it used to be called the Lucifer Trust, and now it supports the UN, which we know the pacemakers are guilty of trafficking and raping um, and horrific things like that. Now, her 10-point... Uh, her 10-point plan to destroy Christianity, take God and prayer out of the education system, reduce parental authority over the children, destroy the Judeo-Christian family structure or the traditional Christian family structure. If sex is free, then make abortion legal and make it easy. Make divorce easy and legal. Free people from the concept of marriage for life. Make homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. Debase art. Make it run mad. Use media to promote and change mindsets create an interfaith movement and get governments to make all these laws and get the church to endorse these changes. Okay. I mean, we're literally witnessing all of that happen right now. Part of our whole society has been infiltrated with things like this completely. Now, even like things like that seem innocent, like the peace sign. The peace sign is a broken upside down cross. That whole piece of love movement in the 70s, completely made by a Tavistock Institute and the Beatles, like that was a social engineering creation. The Rolling Stones, they pushed the Indian religion into America. They pushed ideas of higher consciousness, yoga. If you look at the pictures of them, the peace sign, I mean, it's all mocking Christ. The more I looked into all this stuff, the more I believed that Christ was the truth. And um, I thought it was something that I would put to the side and not have to worry about after, you know, besides telling people about it sometimes. But no, like I said in the very beginning, I started to realize that it was completely infiltrated into the church via the church cabal by agents of Rome, as well as the Patriot Truth Movement, which is completely saturated in the new age spirit of we are our own saviors joel osteen he does this i am now yeah it could just be seen super innocent right 
But I am is the name that the Lord told Moses to profess is the name of God. So you are basically affirming that you are God when you say, I am this or I am that. And there's also a little God's doctrine that Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, these word of faith movements, all of this charismatic, this is all new age spirit. Anything oper operating outside of the will of God is liable to be new age spirit, and it is. The Patriot Truther movement, absolutely new age spirit. Absolutely. So that this is all I have for you today. I am going to get into, you know, that last topic a lot more in my part three. Uh, basically how the new age uh, spirit has infiltrated the church and what to look out for if you are a Christian and you have never been deceived by that spirit. Because if you haven't been deceived by it, it's hard to recognize because it's subtle. And I would say it's most its strongest um, strength, its strength is its ability to deceive because it is so pleasant on the surface. And then the second you dig a little bit, you realize that you're literally dancing with the devil. And so I will do my best. I have a lot of a lot more research to do. So it might not be the next episode, but it will be soon as much as as as, as I get the time. Um, and I'll try to keep up with just kind of like current events and stuff too. I did make a couple videos on my telegram and Instagram about certain current event type situations, um, to combat some of the psychological operations that are being unlaunched on us. And so I just thank you for your time and I thank you for listening and I look forward to hearing, uh, what y'all think. And I hope you have a blessed day and stay close to the Lord. If you're anxious or confused or scared, just talk to the Lord, let him know, lay all those things at his feet, ask him for peace because he is the Prince of Peace and he gave us the gift of the comfort in the Holy Spirit and he will provide you what you need. So I love y'all. God bless you and I'll see you next time.